add to it it'll be interpreted as artistic oh definitely that's fucking I'm going to leave every last second that looks okay my how do you what do you think of that it's beautiful gorgeous yeah that looks amazing mm. okay is that me on the ground here it is okay yeah, hold on let's get some space there going on no I was actually doing cheers with you uh-huh. taste this cheers cheers Whiskey's tasty. The whiskey's tasty. At last, it's, it's too thick, isn't too it? Too thick, uh-huh. Yeah, what the fuck? They've got it all wrong. Don't buy Norlin if it comes up on your Facebook feed. It's a load of shit. Pretty much. Um, wow. I mean, they're supposed to be enhancing our whiskey drinking experience with that. Yeah. How can you get that so wrong? I knew it was marketing when I was buying them. But I gave in to that. Or I hoped. I had a little bit of hope. into it. What? They're buying into the idea. That's the point. I'd love if that lived up to what they had told us. Well, they saw, I saw it all being sculpted and mm-hmm. uh, uh, precision engineering and whatever the fuck. And, um, well, it's just for the future. That's how you market. And the... The best thing, it is beautifully marketed, all the benefits, mm-hmm. all that thing. That's where you learn all the stuff. It's just nice to have a good product at the end of it. Well, they sell you the idea that you will become a connoisseur because you're going to get all this enhanced experience by drinking yeah. in their glass. They're almost selling you a license to talk bullshit about whiskey. And the reality is that it's flawed. Unless your man had this amazingly large mouth and that's the appropriate size for him. <laughs> <laughs> but also, like, um, what would be the experience? Is it want to be... To overshadow a whiskey, mm-hmm. with a, to have this a glass that's supposed to transform your fucking experience of drinking the whiskey, I I just can't. I can't tell myself all those stories. Can you do that? You know, you, I think you really have to kind of go. Not the experience that I want with a whiskey, and that is the tradition and familiarity, which of course we're going to favour, means that I want a heavy bottom glass. Yeah. And I want the rim of that glass to be thin enough so that I can actually taste the whiskey in the specific part of the tongue that I want to direct it to, rather than this jalopy that feels like I've actually got a box in the lip. <laughs> That's a good description. We have another go at this mm. little. This is only a the whiskey will grow on me, the glass won't. Mmm. You almost think you're going to spill it. Yeah, well... Yeah, same as that. I've made a bit of a mess. That's a waste. That's a disaster. Mm. And the inside of it, in fairness, looks a little bit like a used condom. Yeah, now that you've said that with the colour of it... So enjoy your next up. These are serious first world... um, Issues and ...discussions that we're having here. Yeah. Um, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So it is kind of this the podcast began. I think you might have known that the podcast begins okay. straight away. <laughs> right. Some of the time we walked in. Not quite. Just... No, no, no. Not quite in fairness. It's, it doesn't... Um, I don't... I think it's kind of like um, if you jump in straight away or if you say, right, now it's the podcast. Mm-hmm. It, I think... It kind of, I mean, there's no way to avoid a camera being in the room. Way. What's that? You formalise it then, do it. Yeah, you, mm. you make it into... it being a um, a thing I think it, then it's suddenly 
I can see why Joe Rogan, for example, does it for three hours because I'd say by the time he gets to hour two or hour three, then mm-hmm. all the, all this, you know, the not the bullshit, but all the, um, the pretense kind of dissolves away. There's no room. You can't keep the say somebody's in trying to sell a book yeah, or yeah. a story or whatever the fuck. You can't keep that going for three full hours. So then it'll meander and it'll go every way, and at the end of it, you'll get a kind of an authentic conversation. There was a great example of that where he brought on Richard Rollins, the guy from Fast and Loud. Yeah. I've always enjoyed this guy on TV. Great screen presence. Okay. And the first hour was painful. The last two hours were amazing. Yeah. Now, there was no deliberate sales, no deliberate posturing. Just these two guys hadn't worked each other out. Yeah. Um, but by the time they got to the end of the, the first hour, this thing just opened out to be this most remarkable discussion where Joe did what he did best and just exposed this man for the philanthropist and the genius that he was okay. where this guy is quite happily humble in now yeah. loud and fast but ironically humble when you realise what's behind this guy Yeah. but it was a lovely example of um, journalistic interviewing and the necessity maybe to do what you said let it draw out let it draw yeah and also you see sometimes I've noticed that say we, I turn off the camera mm. and it's at the end and then it's fucking total um the conversation then after sometimes is is exactly what you're looking for. When they feel more relaxed? Well, even for me, it's not like I'm totally 100% relaxed about the idea of a conversation being recorded Yeah. with a camera. But um, So what I'm saying is that somehow then when you say you turn the camera off, it's that sometimes people go, all right, or some sort of energy thing to go, all right, so that's off. So now we can just go back to chatting about fucking shit and not caring. Yeah. That's, I'm just, it's a, it's so an the performance inter- is over. Yeah. Well, that's pretense. That's pretense. I think it's kind of normal, but it's, it's an interesting way. I think about it. But even that word though, pretense. <laughs> they actually are currently tense. They what? Currently tense. Yeah. 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 Just tense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll do. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Is it interesting? Uh, it, it just in th- for this form, this idea of a podcast, of a conversation, trying to. You can't really try. It just goes the way it's going to go. Mm-hmm. And that's the premise of it. Really well, in fairness, that you've, you've never suggested in any dialogue that we had that your podcasts were looking for anything different. No. You know, that there's a dialogue to happen in whatever organic form it takes. Yeah. That's so it's not an interview, <clears throat> it's a chat. It's it's yeah it's an an attempt yeah mm-hmm. or a conversation yeah recorded, yeah. Um, <clears throat> which is an interesting thing to try. I mean, the original idea of it was fucking this idea, a conversation uh, recorded and not knowing what way it's going to go or mm. how what road it will take. Or so I never give myself. I was tempted to read up a little bit about your clinic which I did for a few mm-hmm. minutes and I have read before but about your history and about stuff like that and then I kind of go no 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 that's just you know trying to mm. but I do that to um, sometimes I've absolutely done research but it's very rare I, I like that jumping in even yeah. if it's uncomfortable because I don't because then we can see what way it fucking goes like but I mean that isn't that the art of conversation and using the word art very deliberately whereby it, it can be organic and can flow where we find that a lot of conversations these days are contrived or loaded with a pretense or with an objective. Yeah. You know, well, can't the conversation just be what it needs to become? Yeah. 
and that's the that's it can be always fresh because of that because mm-hmm. then you have two people somehow coming together with that in mind yeah that um yeah and here we are yeah, yeah. so i hope you have questions now <laughs> <laughs> oh that's the thing you see i probably I, sh- I have one question well i have two questions actually um and um yeah to- totally different ones um and it's it's a question of which one i'm going to ask you that's that's what i'm interested in mm. One is a kind of to get a bit about your history and uh, and then the other one is something that you posted on Facebook at Christmas time. Oh, yeah. Um, so it was a nice mix there. Um, I don't remember what I posted on Facebook at Christmas time. Well, uh, what you mentioned um, the word is ah, yeah. and gratitude or mm. something along those lines, but it was very specifically around the word is. Is, yeah. And um, and so well, obviously we're going down that road then. Okay. Either well, either or, or both. Well, um, yeah. Well, maybe we we'll go back. I think it's no harm going back because I think it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I know a little bit about you. Yes. Um. So maybe yeah. Uh, I suppose the Japanese culture, uh, that's where I have to ask it. Sure. There's absolute love of Japanese culture. Mm. And I'm curious how a man from Dublin ended up falling in love with such a culture. Right. Um, it started off not understanding what culture I was falling in love with. Yeah. Because as a child, I would collect the papers off crayons because mm. it had Chinese writing on the side of it. I was mystified by the Far East because it was far, it was out of touch, it was mysterious. Mm. But I was mystified by any mystery. Um, I always wanted to know what was the unknown and the, and the curious. And at yeah. this stage, I wasn't able to differentiate between Japanese, Chinese, Malaysian, and so on. Mm. Um, but then all of a sudden, David Carradine makes his way onto my screen uh, in this episode of Kung Fu. And okay. Then I realized there's this type of activity that I'd heard about elusively, wasn't aware that it was an available thing. Mm. He's clearly not um, Asian, at least from the point of view of full-blood Asian, mm. um, yet he's doing this thing. So all of a sudden this idea was born, but the idea of doing karate. Mm. So from an age, um, it must be in very low single figures, like, I mean, as early as four and five, I'm starting to go around the place, air kicking and doing the equivalent of playing the air guitar. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> okay, very good, yeah. Later on, I eventually got to join a karate club. Mm. But prior to that, I was a gymnast and I was a runner and various other things. Enjoyed all of them. Mm. Still, that desire was there for this Far East. Mm. At the same time, you're, as kids do, you're studying other things that are mystical, whether it's the story parameters or you're studying a couple of car tricks. Because there's something special about having something that's mysterious. Maybe at that age, when you're looking to find your identity, maybe you think it's adding to your identity. Or mm. it's, it's part of your exploration. But one way or the other... It eventually ended up in a dojo. And the first dojo wasn't the right one. He was a good guy. I still know this man today. Yeah. The second dojo, he was the best man for me. Dojo is... Oh, dojo do- is, is what we would have referred to as our karate hall. Okay. Um, and the second one was actually not Japanese. Um, in fact, it was originally a Chinese martial art that was taken by a big Hawaiian guy and turned into a practical street fighting art. Mm. Very disciplined, very structured beautiful history as far back as this man and mm. uh, the man was ed parker this style was kenpo 
Um, and my daughters do that now. Uh, and they're, they're under an instructor that's around a long time and has okay. that tradition and legacy. Because tradition and legacy, it seems to me, is something that's dwindling about the place these days. Yeah. But from that point on, that gave me a tangible route to ask a question or to engage a person on the subject of the martial arts karate. Now, karate is Japanese, yeah. even though Kenpo karate was a Chinese variation. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sorry, I should, I should say an Americanized version of a Chinese art. Okay. But anyhow, um, that began it. And then from that point, because there was a, a maybe a pre-affection, I then started to notice things that were Japanese. Simple things like the cherry blossom in my dad's garden. You know, I was starting to manufacture weapons myself as a child, so that when other guys and girls were running around playing cops and robbers, uh, I was the gobshite with a sock on my head being the ninja. Mm. You know, and this was how it yeah, yeah, yeah. And it just became what it became, to the point that I had a black belt early. I used to help my instructor, and I used to love this, run his class while I was still studying, you know, for a, at that stage was the intermediate certificate. Mm. You know, so he'd go on holidays, leave me in charge of a school. and. This responsibility came as a reward for the dedication to the art. Yeah. So this was a benevolent experience all the way through. So all the way through, I had a reward for commitment. Mm. And that never stopped giving till eventually I ended up in Japan and realized that that culture rewards all the time. Okay. And it seemed to sit with the idea that I had that a discipline and a consistent approach to something will yield a result. Mm. So it just sat into my, to some extent, um, I think the hierarchical term of obsessive-compulsive disorder can mean very severe issues in some instances. I certainly have a compulsion for order, but I mockingly call it OCO, not OCD, right. because for me it's not a disorder, it's an order. So I have an obsessive-compulsive order to keep things uh, in, in, a, in a form that I can extrapolate and exploit the best of a situation. Yeah, okay. And the Japanese do this. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. That's yeah, funny. It's, no, it's no, OCO, it's, right? Yeah, yeah, no, it's interesting. I think I must be... Um, You're either D or O. No, I'm, that just, I'm the CEO, the chaos one. Uh-huh. <laughs> With a certain amount of order, I'm sure there has to be, but there's a lot of chaos. What is a curious thing, and that is, is in having an element of order, a predictable base to come from, mm. it, it essentially facilitates stepping out into a chaotic environment, enjoying it thoroughly, mm. because to some extent you've got an anchor or a tether back to something that, you know... Uh, gives you the security to go out there and play, mm. which is another concept that the Japanese grandmaster that I would have vis- visited under a different martial arts style would always talk about. And what he would say was, okay, understand, play. Mm. Uh, and people would kind of go, okay, do you understand? Now go and play. Mm. It wasn't what he meant, ever. And it was actually a, a fellow in the UK that... that put me onto this because I didn't work that out for myself I, mm-hmm. I only heard okay understand play what he meant was was okay understand play okay yeah 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 and that was uh, okay so now what I got to do is learn to play inside of that organised structure mm-hmm. so now that you understand organised structure now put some chaos in there mm-hmm. so in other words learn form to become formless mm-hmm. and again that spoke to me uh, not necessarily a Japanese thing, but I learned that in Japan. And I'm going linear, but you, when you met that, that wasn't in Ireland when you met these guys. This this guy you're talking about there from England. 
Yeah, that was from England, was it? I met him first in Ireland. Okay. But the conversations I had with him were, were, were more when I started to go and see him in the UK in small batches. Mm. And then as our relationship developed, we ended up with more one-on-one conversations. And he's a very benevolent man. He's very generous with his knowledge if mm. he feels that you deserve it. Um, he doesn't give away stuff for free, and I don't mean money. Uh, he'll give away things as compliments to the lesson that you've learned. Okay. To some extent, that's a Japanese principle as well. You earn it. You know, but Dennis is the gentleman's name, Dennis Bartram. He would um, share his lessons that way. He could give you a class of lessons, um, but subject to your understanding of that class will predetermine what you're going to get told next. Mm. And he still teaches today, and we still uh, teach in, in one form together, in other forms separately, but we're part of the same organization, which is this uh, Amatsu group which has now become a Matsu orthopathic therapy. Yeah. And that, of course, is the other part of my life, which is essentially the occupational uh, side of it, which is heavily Japanese-influenced because it is a Japanese therapy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and in that... Um, so you ended up, though, um, I suppose in particular, um, um, you obviously went to study in Japan to learn... Um, some uh, martial art elements or yeah yeah so the majority um of my martial arts study was conducted here in ireland under uh, a guy called george mon now george is a fabulous man he's perceived differently by people in the kempo circles uh, for different reasons but the fact is he gave us a phenomenal schooling in the discipline uh, and just in general discipline Mm. so a simple thing we would have come through with a competence but also a confidence Mm. within balance never a, an arrogance about our skill sets in any shape way or form mm. um, set me up beautifully to go into the um, Japanese martial art that at entry level in many ways I don't rate a lot of the guys who practice that art actually can't fight mm. uh, it's a, a martial art and that part seems to be missed mm. so in actual fact what you've got is is a theatre company um, yeah. now there are guys within that martial art I must be clear upon this that are fabulous and, and very capable of fighting if you will although nobody ever wants to fight mm. the fact is the capability is there but what I'm advocating is that this schooling and grounding came initially from, 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 from George and then came through then and transcended that particular time and space and do you think that um, that sort of ethos and of the martial arts appeal to that uh, part of you that you mentioned about order yeah that it was a kind of a, a an attractive way for order in a way it was it gave you something tangible specific to do even from a habitual perspective three times a week yeah um i liked it because there was a security in it as you as you basically had your your schooling that was predictable uh your karate which was predictable and then the rest of it was just out there organically mm. uh, going through the various different types of chaos and divilment that a young fella does mm. but because again I had my firm anchors I felt, felt very confident to go out there and waste time it was never wasted it was exploration mm. but it wasn't necessarily productive in a measurable way mm. but it was very productive in a formative way but it allowed me a balance a sense of balance as in I've got that so now I can go over there and be a gobshite yeah okay mm. And um, then taking it um, forward a little bit to um, obviously your curiosity. I mean, would you say your curiosity just 
kept wanting to be fed a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that, like, that's how you, yeah, it ended up. That's is that why you ended up going to talking to these guys in Japan? These so I went to Japan um, with an instructor that I was training under here in Ireland first. Mm-hmm. I went over there to see this grandmaster that I'd heard about, mm-hmm. um, and like that, there was various different people in that troop. Some that I would have recognised as being very good at what they do, at what they had been doing martially, yeah. others not so much. Not denoted necessarily by their greater rank. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so when going to Japan, I got to see what the Japanese perspective was on efficiency uh, and in the application of this particular martial art. Okay. And again, you're looking at uh, a patriarchal, historical, legacy approach to the system. Mm. Now, even though that was the case... This particular guy, uh, Masaka Hatsumi, um, was still a practitioner of ninjutsu, which meant he was a rule breaker. So he had beautiful form, beautiful <clears throat> technique, but anybody looking at him wouldn't recognize that because he had let it become something different. Okay. He was now the improvised musician, classically trained, but now he's playing improvised jazz. Okay. So for maybe a person that didn't understand, he looked disorganized, he looked clumsy. But yet, he was remarkably efficient. His timing was perfect. His Mm. distance control was perfect. So you're exposed to this level that's outside of your current capability because you don't have enough time waxing on, waxing offing. But eventually, when you get to the level of proficiency whereby you have, we'll say, now this, of course, is a perceptual statement, but a master control of it, then you get to inject the chaos in again. Okay. So it's form to That's your play play element. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Okay, understand play. Yeah. Okay, um, I suppose I have a kind of a, a, a thing in mind or a, a moment in mind which um, we talked about um, and I'm interested in when you were learning the uh, um, this there is a lot more to it it's not obviously there's an awful lot of the flow element to it that you know you kind of you can't understand intellectually you have to be in mm. the movement of it sure. to know um, you know, this just the movement. You have to be in the movement of it to experience it, and then you can maybe describe the experience right. of it. But you, you described to me a moment where you were kind of pushing against this guy who was teaching you. Or he was trying to, mm. and, and it was a kind of a distinct moment in your, oh yeah, in yeah. your learning process mm. where you kind of went, okay, okay, right, yeah. This was on my first trip, and we had gone to see one of the Shihans, which one of the senior grades in Japan. Mm. and at that point in time he, he said basically throw a punch um, now to maybe give this some kind of context I had come through the Kempo mm. we got into competitions and to use my instructor's terms we'd clean the floor mm. uh, we were exceptionally good exceptionally fit exceptionally well trained my instructor by the way was ex-army so we had that type of approach to the okay. the, the training Yeah, um, we could do everything on both sides and we could do it with s- some significant efficiency not only in the perception of technique but also actually in the power that was within that technique. Mm. So I went to Japan as a young man with all the arrogance that comes with being a young man, even though we were relatively humble, they're still in, you know, I'm going to Japan, I'm really good at what I do. I'm going to show these guys what I'm doing. Uh, And there there might be a compliment somewhere that make me feel even better. But the truth of it is I was fit, fast, strong, uh, from a visual perspective in great shape, and a little Japanese old man, smaller than I, Draw uh, a punch, draw a punch, and he said it in Japanese. When I tell you to draw a punch, you draw a punch. It's not up to you to stop. It's up to me to get out of the way. Um, so I threw the second punch, and I was convinced I hit him. 
my, my next conscious thought, I was travelling along the floor at the height of the arms of the chair, more or less horizontal. Mm-hmm. Um, now usually you would engage a roll to roll out of that. I couldn't roll because he had organised me in such a way that I was going to fall flat. But as I was falling, he just brushed off the Achilles tendon at the back of my heel, which made my body feel like I had elongated a couple of inches, and I fell down to the floor flat and was completely winded. Now, at that stage, our training was so um, involved in conditioning-orientated work as well as functional work mm-hmm. that we could take um, Wavin pipes essentially filled with sand wrapped in a PVC and you'd be slapped with these things while you were hanging upside down from a, an inversion bar. Like, okay. it sounds ridiculous. Yeah. But this was this school of tall for conditioning. I was winded. Foreign feeling mm-hmm. at this stage of my life. He came up, took me by the little finger, put his fingernail under mine, bent the finger, which bent the wrist, which bent the elbow, kneeled on my rib cage, and as I exhaled, he would bend it a little bit more, kneeling a little bit more, and was slowly strangling me. Now, right. I cut back to my observations of this the day before. I'm looking at this guy thinking, people are just cooperating here in Japan, even with the Grandmaster, even with the Sheehans. And I'm thinking, this is not good. I came all this way. It was very expensive. What am I doing here looking at this? Yeah. Pony and tramp show. This is not it. Yeah, I realized while lying on the floor, having my finger bent and the knee into my ribs, that actually nobody was cooperating. They didn't have any choice. This man understood timing and distance. And the space that I needed to be in to be fit, fast and strong. Mm -hmm. And the space he needed to be in to mean that from his perspective, it didn't matter. Because he took everything that I had away and kept all of his. Mm -hmm. And that's when I learned, that's a master and I'm very much a student, no matter how good I thought I was. And at that stage, I was considered to be somewhat of an expert in other people's perspectives. But that, that was the turnaround. And that was the beginning of a new series of learning. One that made me realise you're learning for life, kiddo. Yeah. And that was a lovely, humbling experience. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, that's dramatic. I mean, you, you, that's the stuff that you see in um, martial art movies. Yeah. You know, that's it's, the stuff that you see in, in in those sorts of scenarios where the young guy, he, he knows his shit, he's coming mm. over, and no matter how grounded or whatever, he still thinks, I'm going to take him. Yeah. <laughs> Straight out of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Oops. But um, but obviously it struck a chord um, or, and remains to strike a chord that he didn't use force. No, really. no, he didn't need to. Yeah. Um, and, and that is an interesting thing. This is a very capable man that's capable of eliciting a huge amount of devastating damage on mm. a person's body. But of course, given his, his, his understanding of the things that I told you about, he doesn't have to. You fall over on yourself. Mm. He's, he's taking away your capacity to remain upright by mm. taking away your perception of where you are in space and time by being somewhere different to the new thing he is. So you overextend. He just helps you overextend a little bit further. And for all intents and purposes, you fall over. Mm. Now, whether you fall over onto his knee or whether he accelerates that fall is entirely his choice. Uh, and, and that's just two things of the myriad of things that he could do. Okay, mm-hmm. and do you think that is, um, it, it's that uh, he, he he thinks you're predictable and can spot it that he can move so fast, or what's take the magic out of it in a yeah. way for me and break it down? How okay. can somebody do something like that to you? So, for instance, if we liken this, a child is unpredictable. 
Mm. But when they run at you, and I'll use mess fighting because we're talking martial art, there's no threat there because your physical prowess over that child is of such that you can grab the arm even though you don't know which arm's going to get thrown mm. because you've got that much understanding of your own timing and distance because you're in a 40-year-old body or a 50-year-old body mm. that you can see the shoulder coming up to throw around. Yeah. So you will just engage that and grab it and you'll tickle them and you'll turn them and you know, you've got control over their inexperienced body. Mm-hmm. So independent of how experienced I thought I was, comparative to his studies, I was inexperienced. Okay. So what you had was a pair of experienced eyes that although I was operating in an unpredictable way, he had enough time because of his understanding of where he needed to be to read what I was doing. Yeah, okay. So that's what he was doing. So like, let's go back to music in that regard. You know, with the improvisation of jazz, mm. if you've got a couple of guys coming together for the first time, well, everybody just adds their bit in with an understanding as to what the general idea is going to be, but they put their bit in in their own way mm. because they can read the music. He read me. Yeah. Okay. Does that help you understand that? Yeah, yeah, no, it totally yeah. does. I mean, it breaks it down. It takes the kind of... There's no magic. There never the magic. is. Yeah, yeah. There's only perception of what these guys are doing. Plenty of people want to mystify them. Mm. They don't deserve to be mystified. They deserve to be respected for the time and the commitment that they put in to get to that level. Yeah. You see the likes of... I mean, I see videos online of these guys who... Like you're describing when you saw him in action the day before yeah there you're looking at these martial arts and the guy is just kind of going okay or whatever and they to me where there's no contact even it looks yeah. like that's he's using some sort of chi or force to push the person away and it, yeah. it, to me that's bullshit though yeah that is bullshit yeah 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 yeah, yeah so yeah. like I mean there's no doubt about it that we all have some type of electric magnetic resonance that emulates from our body that can be measured in some way yeah but you ain't gonna throw somebody across a room with it and there's plenty of examples of these guys on the internet who have made these claims whose students will jump away from them akin to what you see at the evangelist ceremonies you know where people are speaking in tongues and wobbling Mm -hmm. on the floor because somebody has exercised the demons so this situation is played out in any number of environments including martial arts now take the martial art minister and put him in against somebody that might be a cage fighter and every time our slap minister goes home with his backside in a sling. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, that's very good, yeah. Mm. Um, and um, what I was going to say to you was, so obviously within the, both the, let's say the play of it, mm. but also obviously in your work, then you, um, I'm going to use the only way I can talk about what you, uh, Matsu, but yep. you, uh, uh, basically, there is a, a way for the body to be held. Uh, this is having gone to a few of your, um, obviously, uh, a few of your sessions and you've worked on me, but, so what I've understood is that it, there is a, a way for the body to naturally be held or hold right. itself. Yeah. And, um, the body then over long periods of time learns whether it's sitting at a school desk, sitting at an office, a computer, reading a book, reading a paper, whatever the mm-hmm. fuck. It has learned a way that doesn't necessarily suit its natural state. And so then it, muscles have to compensate. Everything has to compensate yep. for the body to work normally. And then what happens is over prolonged For the body to work, not normally. For the body to work. Yeah, okay. yeah. <clears throat> and... Um, 
It's easier a question at the end of this spiel, hopefully there is. Um, but basically, um, back pain and neck pain and shoulder pain and mm. all of those are results of some sort of, it's not, you know, positioning or whatever that has happened over a prolonged period of time. And you kind of describe pain as is the last resort for the body compensating for all these bad positions. I'm not going to get you to... Uh, correct my language necessarily but mm. but obviously that's this study of the body and this discussion this amatsu is holistically different than again we'll say physiotherapy or whatever the fuck in terms of fixing mm. prolonged problems of the body so obviously back pain people suffer from it it's a it's a fucking thing we live in a world where back pain is a I don't know, was it always the case? But it definitely is a serious thing for people to have to deal with on a daily basis. Okay. So what is the, the question is, in your studies, in your work, what, have you, what do you see as the cause of body pain? What's the main cause okay. of body pain? So... Is that, is that the question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's, it's not too difficult to answer this. Anthropologically, we have evolved to function in a particular way. Mm. You have a series of joints all the way through your body and soft tissue hanging over that that predictably moves the bone structure through a series of movements mm. that's specific to the angles and positions that the joints are anthropologically designed to be. Mm. That's based upon evolution. Now, cut a long story short, the neutral position that you're supposed to be in, this homeostatic position, which is where you are in poise or in perfect balance, is essentially where you are standing with the minimum engagement of muscle tissues. Hmm. Now, of course, this is going to be a reductive answer. And there's tangents that I yeah, go yeah. off in each one for much, much longer. But to keep it encapsulated, if a person is simply standing with poor poise because they've now ended up outside of their anthropological developed position, in other words, they're no longer running around the field throwing a spear at a, a, a rabbit or something more significant with both hands with efficiency, they're no longer climbing trees with all limbs with efficiency and no longer foraging where they're bending down and picking stuff up and moving around in a natural way mm-hmm. now they're stuck behind the desk for very prolonged periods of time from the time that they're four years of age and in a lot of people's cases all the way through their life mm. and if they're not behind the uh, uh, desk they're possibly behind a steering wheel or some other compromise to this shape that's designed to move your mm. body is designed for perpetual motion mm. and even when you're stopped you're still in motion okay mm-hmm. Now, if the position that you're in for motion is uneconomic, mm-hmm. then you've got a ratio issue. And the ratio issue is that your rate of healing, which is proportionate to how you have looked after your health, proportionate to your age, certain environmental factors, but your proportionate of regeneration is supposed to supersede the rate that you degenerate. Mm. If it doesn't, you've got pain that you can't get rid of. Okay. Now, the problem you've got is, is that for most people, the degenerative ratio is elevated by being harbored in a particular position for prolonged periods of time that your body reads as a fall. This is the easy way to describe this. And if you're falling over, something has got to grip you and hold you and stop you from falling. Mm-hmm. So in our case, we don't have guy ropes, we've got muscle tissues. And the body, neurologically, will engage the muscle tissues and the fascial continuum that runs through the body, we won't get any more technical than that. Mm-hmm. But what I want to say is that all of the body, all of the time, is aware of what every other part of the body is doing. 
So if your shoulders are forward, all of your body will make a compensation to try to lessen the effect of your shoulders being forward on the rest of your body. After a while, that gets too tiring. Mm -hmm. You will look for another way of doing another adaption. And you will keep looking for adaptions to allow you to continue this sustained challenge position. Okay. Till eventually you run out of options. Now you've got pain and nowhere to go. You would have had elements of pain all the way, but when you run out of options, it's just pain and you can't seem to get better because right there, the slider for regeneration has dropped below degeneration and you're sustaining dysfunction. Right. Now what okay. I do is come along and help reverse that. Mm. That's the crux of it. Okay. Yeah. Very well put. Good. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you see, it's fucking... Um, this mechanism, this um, bones and skin and everything like that is beyond complex. Oh, it's, it's beyond complex, but beautifully simple. And as paradox as my statement is, the complexity comes when you look at things in isolation. Mm-hmm. And you can explore any part of the body to infinitum. Mm. But when you do that, and I've done a lot of study in the body, mm-hmm. you then have to realize, something I said a minute ago, that every single part of that body is completely aware of what every other single part of that body is doing at all times. So no matter how specialist you become, you have to be aware that if you're going to address something in the body, you have to address the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. Because a condition, an ailment, or disease will leave signatures in the rest of the system. So if you only address the symptom, let's say, mm-hmm. well then the signatures that are there can make it easier for a person to dream, drift back into the pathology and behaviour that caused them to visit you in the first place for help. Okay. So tell me about this. Uh, tell me about, um, or would you, uh, what, to what extent does stress, not physical stress, but actual mental stress? Okay. So What's your sense of what that does to the fucking... Because they're going to cross over, what we'll do is, is we'll call psychological stress, stress, and we'll call physiological stress, distress. Okay. okay. So, what you've got is a situation whereby the body will always reflect how the mind is feeling, and the, the pretty much the mind will also have a reflection of what the body is feeling. Now, what I'm talking about there is, to put it another way, psychology always has physiology, physiology always has psychology. Now, let's give some examples. Does the body easier. rule the mind or does the mind rule the body? I don't separate them. Yeah, okay. Uh, no, it's just mid yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, but it is a question people ask. Mm. And the thing about it is, is that as you study each one in isolation, you could suggest that one stood, you know, but when you study both, you mm. realise that they're part of the same continuum. Mm. Now, the thing about it is, is that we have a situation, and again, let's be reductive for simplicity. If essentially you see a person and they're, how do you think they're feeling? Probably not brilliant. Because this is the physiology that tends to be associated with feeling down, dour, depressed, maybe even anxious. Um, They might be pursuing safety, but this position doesn't guarantee safe. Mm. That might be their pursuit though. They might feel more protected here. Mm. The reality is that if a person has to visit this position to feel protected, they're not feeling protected. Okay. Yeah? Now, compare this person that has this physiology and this person. Mm. It's a completely different dialogue. And that person's feeling a whole lot different. So now, let's take a person that has got a neutral position and somebody important to them has just passed away. They will drop the head. If they stay like this for a period of time, 
and that period of time can be measured in a couple of days or a couple of weeks they will end up with a sore neck and a sore back because their head has gone forward mm. it's heavy and it's a burden to the body so the psychology of the death created the physiology in the body and okay. depending on how long you leave that there will determine as to what other parts of the body that affects mm-hmm. but know that it affects all of the body straight away but whether it has ramifications that manifest in pathology or something you can feel will be subjective to how long it's there mm. now let's go the other way a person hasn't had any kind of death or any kind of negative impact on their psychology or, the, or any type of stress. They don't even have stress in the workplace. Mm-hmm. But they're out playing a game of hurley, for instance. They get a clatter on the back of the head. And that throws the neck forward and gives them a little bit of whiplash. Mm-hmm. They don't get that addressed properly. You leave them in this position or some form of that position. And that can induce a chemical reaction in the body that can create symptoms of stress, depression, anxiety because of the structural implications of having bones in your head that should do a certain job, not doing the job, it has an effect on the endocratic system, which is the hormonal system, mm. which then can create a depressive scenario. Maybe the easiest one to talk about is if a lady delivers a baby, the pelvis doesn't knit back together properly, mm-hmm. you end up with a challenge to the sacroiliac, which is literally the end of the spine and in the middle of the pelvis. If there's a challenge to that, there will be an orthopedic reference to a challenge in this zone here. So postnatal depression can be a direct, pretty much, correlation to the sacrum, a pelvic level being locked, excuse me, that will lead to a pelvic, uh, occipital lock at the other end. The occipital is the bone at the back of the head. Okay. So let me just put that into one sentence. Lock the pelvis up, lock the head up, postnatal depression will follow. Leave postnatal depression there long enough, it starts to become a behaviour, and Mm. then you can start to categorise it as a clinical depression. Mm. But you can unlock a pelvis fairly quickly provided there's no major uh, structural issues that are beyond just the delivery but you bring a pelvis back into a dynamic form these bones and the affiliated things there's a lot more going on than I'm just saying and then the postnatal depression lifts hmm. so there's an example of a physiology causing a psychology yeah do you think you see even in that instance there say a depression uh, depression that, or postnatal depression Postnatal depression okay. in that scenario there, um, which is great for two blokes to be talking about, but postnatal <laughs> um, depression that it's in that scenario. Mm. You see, then say that happens, that nearly keeps itself going, does it then because the person feels bad about being depressed? On top of feeling depressed, then there's the whole struggle of not wanting the depression to be there yeah. do you know and feeling bad about that that would have that would have been referenced slightly when I was talking about how long it's there yeah if you have a person that has been like I said induced into a depression because of a chemical imbalance mm. they're feeling a little bit down and then of course there might be bonding issues with the babies so we're looking at a lot of hypotheticals here yeah, yeah. just because somebody has a person um, diminished by postnatal depression doesn't mean they don't have a bonding issue with the baby this is look at a, a scenario. Yeah. So postnatal depression manifests because the pelvis is distorted. Mm. Oxyport accepted that link. Now there might be a bonding issue with the baby. Guilt manifests. You let that continue to go and the person will end up with this cycle, which okay. then becomes what I would consider to be a clinical depressive cycle. Mm. But I'm saying that postnatal depression at its core is typically and most often as a consequence of this hormonal imbalance to do with these structural issues. Okay. If a person has a predisposition to depression, just because they had a baby, you don't necessarily just call that the, you know, postnatal. Yeah, yeah. They have depression postnatally, but postnatal depression uh, is typically and more often a structural abnormality that manifests 
in a psychological behavior. Yeah. Um, I've talked to some exceptionally senior, actually a midwife advisor on this, and multiple other people in the mental health care profession about it. Um, and it's not something that's largely understood. They deal with it from a mental health perspective. They don't understand that there can actually be a physiological mechanism that stops the person from getting better. Mm. But we have hundreds of test cases of women that have postnatal depression that when essentially their pelvis was addressed, the depression lifts. But that's really interesting. Do you, um, because is somebody, somebody going to seek you out when they've got postnatal depression? No. They won't. Be, no be, to, surely. But this is because people who are in my clinic, mm-hmm. who know somebody that has postnatal depression, uh, who might have heard about what okay. I've done, will send them in. But of course, you remember, I don't advertise. Yeah. I exclusively operate off a referral system. Mm. Now, we're at a stage because we've got the recognition that we want. So a Matsu therapist is not even what I would refer to myself as anymore because we've got governmental recognition as a Matsu orthopath, mm. which is a very specific syllabus that takes in far more than the original Matsu syllabus was. So we now distinguish ourselves at that level um, but because we're training people to do this, we now have an obligation to tell people that we exist mm. because they need to fill out their practices. My practice has been busy for years on referral only. Mm. So will they seek me out? They will if they're told about me and they will come and they'll have a result. But the reality is they will seek my trainees they, w- out in the would future. They would normally perhaps associate what you do with the physical as opposed to the mental. Do you know what I mean um, by that? I, I do. Now, more now often, that's a me saying that. That's, no, that's a, a fair point. And in, in the fairness, I don't purport to be in any shape, way or form a mental health worker. And that's not something yeah. that I ever want to be misinterpreted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I'm saying is, is that there is an effect on that. Mm. And we have had people come for that reason that have had their symptoms lifted. Mm. Now, in the context that a person comes to me for that specific issue, I will also be telling them that they must talk to a counsellor to see if there's any issues harbouring. Because, like I say, there's no separation. Yeah. They've got to cater for everything that might have contributed to that. Mm. Uh, some of them do go, some of them don't go. Some of them have their, their treatments and say, well, I actually feel fine. You still should talk to somebody. I know I feel fine. I can't, of course, force them. But there's a, an exceptionally definitive instruction that you do need to go and see somebody that is operating in the mental health uh, division does that come up does that, do you get people in and um, men in and you can spot that sort of stuff and you can spot the shape you can spot the shape it doesn't necessarily mean that it's manifested chemically at that point but yeah. there's no possibility that a person that's living with pain isn't being affected anyway it doesn't mean that they're depressed yeah, okay. they might not be happy but they don't have to enter into that realm or these categories or subcategories of depression. Yeah. No, just because, this is obvious, I would think, just because the person is diminished by pain doesn't necessarily mean they're depressed. Mm. Now, I know that wasn't suggested, but it's also important that, you know, where people hear sentiments and statements like I've just made, they tend to take them down as being always rules. Mm. There's no such thing as an always rule in a person's body. Mm. Every single person, even that falls under the same diagnosed category and a diagnosis could come from a neurosurgeon or an orthopedic surgeon or a GP they will have idiosyncratic individualistic characteristics affiliated with their symptom Mm. with their actual ailment naming something doesn't necessarily mean that you've actually encapsulated it yeah well it's very I I mean my perception of say something like depression or whatever it's it is humongous dark connotations it is perhaps talked about in 
let's just say mental health circles mm. but not really talked about in the day-to-day world i don't think it is i mean it depends obviously I'm, I'm more now than before but more now, now yeah. than before it was a dark secret in the past well it, it, i always kind of funny think it's funny in the sense that you know somebody has a broken leg mm. cut in their hands or whatever the fuck that absolutely have no problem going and, going and especially dudes will go jeez they're not feeling well at all if they've got yeah. the flu they will say jeez you know and la- in particular we have no problem feeling sorry for ourselves let's just say yeah but if something like that's coming up then that's not talked about I think yeah. I, I am thinking how it was for years I mean, it's seen as weak I th- I, that's, right. what, that's what I'm but it's also remember seeing so seen as weak and, and, and let that go out rather than just be the person's weak it can cast a dispersion on the family mm. in old fashioned thinking yes yeah you know what's wrong with them yeah you know, why are they depressed what's this what's that I mean I, I'm always taken to the bed you know <laughs> <laughs> Jesus yeah that's mm. yeah and that's how it is yeah. I mean that's that's old dark Catholic Ireland mm. guilt and inadequacy and mm. you know don't tell the neighbours they might think that such and such has happened yeah and the thing about it was in many houses in Ireland there was something bloody happening you know that they didn't want to think that that, that was the consequence of it yeah how could anybody be affected by it yeah yeah, mm. yeah it is interesting I think it's interesting that idea that how, like you're saying, you know, Mary's taken to the bed, there's something mm. fucking wrong with her. And then she's never almost seen as that. Yeah, then, you know, she's never anything other. Yeah, yeah. even if she's, that was a, a few months. Yeah, yeah. It's always, it's you're all right, Mary. Yeah, I'm not sure you are, I love you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so they can be a good It's fucking awful, yeah. Mm. That's it, like, it's mm. almost, I'm a the drunkest, it's almost like the same as them being in Ireland anyway. Mm. I'm not the drunkest in the room. Yeah, yeah. So whilst you know I might have bad days, I'm not like Mary. Mary's taken to the bed. Mm-hmm. I'm not like Johnny. Johnny's had twenty pints and he's yeah. not walking straight. Yeah. So I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm okay anyway. I, I think it's <laughs> fucking yeah. That's the thing, all right. Yeah. Um, but for a a lot of what you do then is um, for work. That is mm-hmm. is. Um, see what um, rewire the body re, uh, re um, reshape the body help the body reshape itself back the body does return to a more efficient position which does change the visual shape the functional shape mm-hmm. for that to happen all of the body has got to become complicitly aware which means that the nervous system is involved that cannot be involved yeah. but so too is the fascial matrix the bone structure all of the connective tissues, which includes the fascia, that's ligaments and tendons as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the musculature is very important because it's receiving the signals from the nervous system. So let's boil this down to a simpler thing, right? And then you've got this bone structure. That doesn't move by itself. Mm-hmm. If you want to move it, a muscle has got to move it. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you've got a muscle that's too tight, it's because the nerve supply to that muscle is telling it to be tight. Mm-hmm. If you have a muscle that's too loose or incapable of engaging, it's because the nerve supply isn't telling it. Now, there's a myriad of reasons for those two things. Okay. But there's no point in going along and bending a bone back in or beating up a muscle if the neural supply is going to continue to tell that muscle to either over-engage or under-engage. Mm-hmm. So subsequently what has to happen is you've got to address not only the neural supply, but then the capacity for the muscle to actually heal itself 
once the nerve supply has been switched on or off in conjunction with what it needs. So yes, to a degree, you're rewiring the body, but you're also trying to flush it out of the harbored toxins that exist within the muscles, whether that's lactic acid, overcalcification, and the other things that can exist in those muscular and fascial sacs. Mm-hmm. But the bottom line is, is that when you're finished doing a balance, which is what we often refer to as the, the treatment, the body has now got accessibility to a position that at the very least is not degenerating you at the same level. Mm, okay. So straight away, your rate of recovery comes up. And remember, people say, I'm just not getting better. My back is sore 18 months. Well, then you're using it wrong because your body's getting better every day, just might not be getting better faster than you're degenerating it. Mm. Because the body is the one that does the healing. I don't. Mm. I just help you to create the shape and the physical poise that reduces your liability so much that your body's natural ability can actually come in and do its job. Mm. That's all we're doing, really. And in fairness, no matter who's treating you, and no matter what their competence is, that's all they're doing, is trying to give your body back the ability to do its job. Okay. Yeah. So I've obviously, I've had um, one, two, five, five sessions. Mm. Um, in four weeks' time, I'm going to have my sixth. Um, uh, and normally now, I'd be the type who would, uh, I'd do three sessions with, say, I had an osteopath in the past. Yeah. Like, I've had prolonged back problems over fucking 15 years, maybe. One okay. way or another, I'd have a relapse of some description. Yeah. And um, and so then, you know, of recent years, I found a, couple, a way to get six to nine months. Mm. So... What we are now experiencing, what we are, we're in the thick of it, I suppose. Um, but I'm curious about this. Like at the moment, I'm totally pain free. Yeah. Um, and I want to be able to maintain that. Mm-hmm. Um, and <coughs> yeah. So, but obviously, I don't want to keep coming to Sean forever. Um, and so, is there a kind of a, a for say somebody with back problems watching this? Yes. And they're from multiple different places across the the, mm. the stratosphere um, is there little things that somebody who's experiencing back problems and it's been on and on and on and on for years is there any tiny thing that they can do if they can't travel from Australia to okay. the clinic so fundamentally we gave an overview earlier on as to what we're talking about doing here which is putting your body into its most economic position yeah the one that it functions at is optimum. There are various treatment systems that purport to do that. Mm-hmm. You had some of them. Yeah. And the problem is, is that they don't necessarily do that. Mm. They do that to the best of their understanding. Mm-hmm. Therein lies this discrepancy. Equally so, there's these wonderful, I'm going to call them exercise systems, um, that purport to help with postures. And they put a different emphasis on different things. Like for a while, it was all about the psoas muscle. Then it become about activating the glutes. Mm. There's beautiful yoga transitions. And there's amazing Pilates classes. And then there's various other activities. Alexander Technique, uh, Feldenkrais. They're superb in their own right. Problem basically you've got in this scenario is, is that if the person going to that activity, any one of them, mm-hmm. is deviated in their structure, what they're doing is, is making themselves more efficient in that dysfunction. Okay, so they're improving their fitness, okay. improving their ability. They're, they're, they're improving a lot of things. But if they still have this hierarchical deviation in their structure, at the best, they're just improving themselves in that twist. So that's like last year. I was uh, as fit as I possibly could yeah. have been. 
as muscular as mm-hmm. I had been my whole life, let's yeah. just say, still fucking pulled back in some way, shape, or form during yep. that period of time. And it was doing. It was a during a nothing, <coughs> during a nothing thing. It wasn't during exercise. Or so the proverbial straw on the camel's back. Your body has an alert system that's probably worth mentioning. Um, maybe we should mention that now that you brought it up. Okay. So you find yourself, for instance, and we will use running as an exercise form. Yeah. So you start to run, but you're running in a slightly deviated position. Mm. What happens is your body is working in a bias from the point of view that you might be slightly more right or slightly more left, but you're running slightly off kilter. Mm. The proportion of use in the body is disproportionate to a degree that one knee will take more abuse, part of your back will take more abuse, uh, one shoulder will be slightly further forward, and it can create all sorts of pathological changes up to your system. Mm-hmm. You will continue to move around inside your running technique to try to find the best place, but eventually you will run out because you will have effectively burdened all of the different configurations that are available. Okay. And now all of a sudden you're in your kitchen and you're just bending down to pick up the spud that fell off the actual counter, and bang, your back goes. Mm. does anybody really think that a spine that's been anthropologically developed for tens of thousands of years you know and in some cases millions of years because you you track it back even to what what we had crawling out of the ocean Mm. that spine has been designed to sustain us for our lifetime Mm. your lifetime depending on who you ask is roughly seven times your age when you meet sexual maturity not mental maturity sexual maturity different thing okay but the point I'm making is, is that's the Longevity potential, right? So, <laughs> just <laughs> okay. How long have you left? Oh, a bit left. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, but the problem is that it goes when you pick up the spud, or when you sneeze, when you open the coffee jar, when you get out of the car, or all the things you hear yeah. about people putting that back out. That'll <laughs> do you. Is that enough? That's that's fucking loads. Yeah, <laughs> that's loads. Yeah. <laughs> In my sleep. Thanks very much. Downstairs, so nobody has to carry you. <laughs> Definitely, not yeah. up here in the non geodetic <laughs> as referred to by somebody. Robin. Robin um, yeah. um sorry, I, I cut across. We worked you. out ninety one, so yeah, we worked out ninety one, the level of multitasking obviously is limited. <laughs> um where were I was we? Presuming it was thirteen. So you have to kinda of say to yourself, yeah, hopefully it was it wasn't ten or whatever. I I suppose where we're at is is that you've got this body that's anthropologically designed to last that amount of time. Yeah. Okay. Now it doesn't go humping a coffee jar Mm -hmm. or bending over to pick something up. Mm -hmm. It's only going because you've now put it under a duress that your body has got nowhere else to go. So Mm -hmm. it was eventually green. Then it went into this kind of yellow alert, and the yellow alert means that it's still able to function. You might even notice, but essentially you're slightly compromised. Mm-hmm. But the body is protecting you by stiffening some part of your body up yeah. that it doesn't want you to aggravate or damage further. But yet you continue to do what you're doing. You might even stretch it. Mm-hmm. And the next thing, your body goes into an amber alert. Now you've got some kind of sensation, but you go with the no pain, no gain, or ash, or it'll be grand. Yeah. Uh, and then before you know it, you've got a straw on the camel's back, then you're into red alert. Now you've got pathology uh, and something very tangible all the time. Mm. And that's how that happens. So the bottom line is, is that unless you understand that mechanism, you may very well be exercising yourself into dysfunction. Yeah, okay. So how does Frank get to a situation whereby he could come once every six months or once a year or do it himself? Mm. Well, you'd have to have a complete and absolute understanding of your body and the signs that it's giving you. You'd have to be able to interpret 
what way your body is actually physically standing or moving through its transitions. Mm. People spend an entire lifetime exploring that journey within yoga. Mm. And even very proficient yoga instructors will find their way into my practice. Mm. Because it's a, it's a beautiful objective, but it is a lifelong commitment. Mm. And there's going to be plenty of glitches along the way, particularly as you're looking to explore the parameters of your movement. Mm. You don't want to just do safe movements. If you just do safe movements, your body will plateau and go into reversibility anyway. Mm-hmm. You want to continue to propagate movement and continue to explore and play. Yeah. And so therefore, I'm not sure if Frank will ever get to the stage whereby you can do six months or not. But if you don't or not doing six months, you'll know why you're not doing it. Yeah. And if you do get to six months, you will know why you are doing it. Mm. And that's your journey. Yeah. But for the person in Australia... They need to find a therapist who is capable of actually helping them become aware of what the characteristics are that they have got that might be contributing to their legacy issues that don't seem to be going away. Mm. Because once again, let me repeat this part, your body is designed to heal. If it isn't healing, you're doing something wrong. Mm. Now, I am not referring to a person that is post a motorbike accident that has been literally pinned back together. I'm talking to the person that has had no major trauma or has had trauma that's relatively low level in the grand scheme of things that should be functioning, mm. yet they're not. That person's not doing it right. And it doesn't matter whether they're doing Pilates. It doesn't matter if they're a yoga instructor or a Tai Chi instructor. If there's a glitch there that's not getting better, they're doing it wrong. Okay. Okay. And all the things I mentioned, I should clarify, beautiful, beautiful formulas. Tai Chi, Pilates, yoga, great systems. The system is not the bed that gets criticized. It's the person doing and using the system that might not be orientated to the best position to do that system. Tai Chi is a bit, um, is more, it's an older form. Like say Pilates is relatively new, isn't it? Is it? It's a new name, new but name. the system's around a long time. Okay. Like, you know, it's, it's, there's, of course, there's emerging sciences that help to explain it better. But mm. fundamentally, there's no new fundamentals. Yeah, okay. all these principles around a long time and just as new marketing strategies yeah everybody wants a a bit of the pie the next new thing yeah mm. yeah very interesting um what was going to say to you um so the second question was um I'd need to dig up your quote but I remember looking at your quote is. Talk, is yeah what did you what do you think is what do you think this is what I, do you think this is what's happening apart from being a podcast mm. what do you think be a sense of it you said it is yeah the only thing that it could possibly be so therefore it, it is the beginning the middle and the end and all those things at once and nothing more nothing less and at the time when I put that up, I was sitting there with my family, exactly where I was meant to be at that moment in time. But I was also there with all the legacy of what had gone before and with all the hope of what was to come, but it had already happened because I could feel that beautiful association of that moment and its resonance. So I decided to put up that effectively, this is and something. Uh, but what I was referring to was... was you also the, said you can't have it or something like that. The feeling that I had at the time. Uh, because it was an element of anticipation for what was to become, because we have to observe a timeline in some way. Uh, have to, maybe not, but do, uh, nonetheless. 
Um, and it was a moment where I felt very connected um, and very, very secure, safe and proud mm. sitting there with my two girls and my wife around me. And knew that the moment that I was finding myself observing was as a consequence of the things that we had done, thought about, manifested and maybe even rewarded ourselves with as a consequence of our commitment to different things. Mm. Um, and it was a nice feeling. Yeah. And um, um, but when you said that you can't have it, it was just uh, this description that don't you remember that, that 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 particular. I can look it up quite easily, yeah, um, and get the exact sentence because it'll put me into that moment, yeah, because I've lost that specific moment in favor of the ones that have that have come after in that timeline. Well, it's not like it's sentient or anything like that. Not what you look. You've asked the question. Let's I've have a look the, and I've see. Asked the question anyway. It'll be um, it'll be there. <clears throat> I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Because um, the photograph will um, spore something on as well. I actually think you just had words. But okay. That could be interesting. What do you think of that whiskey? I like whiskey. Yeah. Oh, it's not just words. Yeah, I thought it was a photograph. Yeah, there you go. Should we, the four of us, Coliseum, I think? Right now, right now, right now. It is the Coliseum. Well, there's a couple of things you said here. Uh, that is the Coliseum one. Ah. You, the greatest illusion in this world is the illusion of separation. Mm-hmm. The greatest gift is to realise there is no gift. There just is. Yeah. So I'm obviously curious about that. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> um what do you mean by no separation? What's your sense of the idea of no separation? Okay, so I talked about the body being a continuum. Every single part of the body is aware of every other single part of the body. Mm. Well, that's when you talk about the body. But then you have to realise that the body is living within an organism that is our planet, that is our universe, that is essentially the expanse of what is our understanding and then way beyond that. And that every single part of that is aware of what every other single part is doing. Mm. So therefore, you know, there, 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 as that says, you know, there is no separation. You know, you are essentially part of the consequence of the result of and the cause of everything. Mm. So therefore, there is no gift. That is it. It just is. You are part of this beautiful thing. You know, you are the lungs of the forest. You are the biological manifestation of space dust. You know, you are the consciousness of the planet. You are, as Romani says, not the um, drop in the ocean, the entire ocean in the drop. Mm. Although that's a slightly smaller observation of the same thing, that was the point. Uh, and standing outside the Colosseum, I was aware that I was around an architecture that had been there for a very long time, that had a history played out that largely was, 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 was about conflict, but also about art and creation. Mm. And that all existed at that time, um, because, of course, if we, if we look upon it, I could get a sense of that particular feeling in that space at that time. You know, there it is. That's where the Gladiator Games were. That's also where the celebrations were. That's where this was and that was. So it's still all there. And therefore, it just is. It, it is a, this beautiful continuum, this beautiful interface mm. of everything that's around us. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Um, <laughs> um, and... Um, Within that, um, what was I going to say? Uh, 
within that sense or that feeling say here right where's here yeah exactly this say what's happening so that's could be taken two ways say what's happening no or, okay uh, in I'm talking about this right just the um electrical aliveness of this yeah. that is ever present that's that's the only this is this is it's always this mm-hmm. it's always is or whatever that, that word that you use i think it's quite nice and um, somebody robin would use the word this nessing mm-hmm. and it's um aliveness is also used or beingness mm-hmm. or um i seem to use the word this right um or what's happening or um the great unknowable mm-hmm. fact of fact even but just that the there's something happening um isn't it a bit mad that there is something it's the, it's, it's the lesser known construct and anything that's unfamiliar seems to be mad or elusive but no for me it's actually very comforting because it means that there is always this phenomenal potential. Mm. And do you and um, is your sense that this potential is going somewhere, or it's it's just ever present? Or no, it's, it's um, I don't believe that it's going anywhere because it, because it just is, meaning that it is perpetual insofar as it's a continuum. Yeah. So it's neither going somewhere or not going somewhere. Yeah. 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 Okay, nice. Um, and um, if I, like you, um, live a full life mm. and um, um, have you, do you think about this idea of, this is apparently called life, that's the name that we have been given, so we use for reference that this is called life yeah being alive is called life mm-hmm. and and there is a thing a thing that um that is referred to as death yeah um how are, what do you think about this idea of death how does this impact you or do you think about it at all no well when i say the word death to you what does it yeah. mean what does it mean to you the first part of the question was the only time I really thought about death <clears throat> was soon after having my first daughter and I was on a plane I went hmm okay there is a possibility that something could go wrong here and I might miss that observable period of time in my daughter's life yeah so that was a thought about death but that's not necessarily congruent with how I think about things mm-hmm. in, in general um, so pertaining to death what do I think about death the start what I don't think about death. I think about, you know, the moments that I choose to observe. And I'm not necessarily confident that uh, I won't have a capacity to observe at any point in time. That doesn't mean I believe in an afterlife. In fact, I don't necessarily focus on the fact of the word life because life is biological and there's a link there. Hmm. So what is that? The meat sack, so to speak. You know, so what is it that we're referring to as life? Is it the memory of that life? Or is it the actual doing of that meat sack? Yeah. So this is the issue. So life and death, specifically to me, is representative of the lifespan of that meat sack. Mm. So as to what happens 
after that meat sack expires. I mean, that is part of the great mystery. But given the fact that I do feel that we are part of this continuum, um, I don't fear death of the meat sack. Mm. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, it's, it's very cool. I like your. Um, I like your description. Um, uh, most there is a prevalent fear, and there's this. There is an idea that. I got, I, for example, some of the emails I get are phenomenal, and I got an email um, from somebody recently that said, "This is death. What's happening here? This is this is might as well. You might, if you're going to call this life, you might as well call this death because right. it's incomparable to anything. There's no, there is no other. There is yes. just this. Well, you're degenerating from the moment that you're born. In well, form or but in the, in the sense that if you're going to call this, <clears throat> yeah, something. Oh, I see. I see. So. Death is this mucky black thing that we just don't quite get, mm-hmm. and life is this. And so basically, he was kind of saying, "Well, this is." I know I'm projecting on his words or my understanding of what he meant by it. He was he was sending me a message saying, "This is, it's already death. It's already end. It's the end. It's over." Mm-hmm. But then, I, I I'll, I'll tell you why I like it. Yeah. And then. Why I like that scenario is that um, obviously we, we inherit the, the words and we navigate and talk mm. about this happening with the words and, um, and those, the unknown have less descriptive words about them. They're the okay. unknown, they're the dark, they're the mm-hmm. in darkness and there isn't a huge amount that can be said about okay. this. And, but there is a thing called life, which is this. And then there's a thing called death, which is the unknown, what happens, this mind, body, mm-hmm. spirit, whatever the fuck, when it's gone, it's mm-hmm. called death, and there's belief in afterlife, and there's heaven, and there's fucking whatever. There's becoming nothing, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, what I am kind of, what I'm taking from his email is that forget all the concepts of mm-hmm. what this is this is onlyness so say this is death there's nowhere else to go this is the afterlife if you know what i mean all right it's it, it is equally it's just a different way of describing which the brain kind of can then go okay all right do you know what i mean by that I, i'm not yeah. saying your brain yeah, yeah. any can in a discussion so it changes the, the conversation about this happening See, what we're looking at here basically are different people's interpretations of words to describe the same thing. Yeah, probably, yeah. So the reality is that, you know, our words in this language and somebody else's same word in other language means different things. So I'm not entirely sure if this guy's yeah, I think it's unplugging people. words. Yeah. It's actually unplugging that words mm-hmm. are real words are real things. Yeah. So when that's unplugged, mm-hmm. then you're swimming in the soup of this isness. You're you're you don't have the rock solid uh, mm. knowings of where you go. And the thing about it is, though, is, is, is do we need them? Because I did talk about before the necessity for form for me. Yeah. And it was only when I felt that I had a sufficient understanding of form that I was happy to be formless, mm. therefore not requiring the security of, therefore not requiring the absolute explanation, to be quite happy in the is. And whether is or this is a soup for you or something different for me 
so long as it has the same association in here, the resonance is the same, we'll all find our own way to try to make some type of sense of it or not make sense of it and just happily bask in it. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Not make sense of it and happily bask is a nice mm. um, couple of sentences. Um, yeah, very cool. Um, I think that's a nice fucking moment there that you hit on that we can. Um, I'm just going to check here because I think we've gone to an hour and 25 minutes. All right. It goes. It does. Yeah. And you see how Joe gets three hours in, eh? Yeah, yeah. Mm. You can fucking, it can disappear into it. It can be, um, uh, it's interesting. Mm. I mean, but it's the same anytime. It's time flies and you're having yeah. a bit of crack, you know. Um, hmm. Yeah. Stick a candle in them. Yeah, I think that's probably what all they're good for. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, they held the whiskey that has subsequently departed. Mm-hmm. You can give credit to them for that. Mm-hmm. Saves us taking it by the neck. Yeah. I think it's an interesting thing, all the same. I mean, I know it's. Uh, it appears like it's a bleak discussion to talk about this idea of death, but um, I was always, as a younger person, I was always fascinated by, I always thought, some, I read somewhere, I saw in some movie, that death is a wonderful reminder about the temporariness okay. of, of... So it's context. Well, that was at a very young age. I liked the idea that mm. it's not something to be... Um, not that I'm saying that it's something to be afraid of, or I, I'm, I'm not actually saying anything like that, but I think it's it's just not talked about because it's this bleak, dark place. I saw that played out with the guy, I was in Japan actually, one of the guys I was there with turned 50, and his demeanour really changed, because the number 50 to him represented this, the distinct fact in his mind that I've now definitely lived more life than I have left. Yeah. And I asked him at the time, will the next half or portion of your life be any richer than the first part, or part even? And uh, it offered them some thought, but he was very ingrained in what death meant to him. And for him, it was a conclusion. Mm. I think that's a thought process that I wouldn't like to be locked into. Because if it's a conclusion, to some extent, I think that might be missing the point. Mm. Yeah, certainly a marker. But I certainly don't want to be occupied or informed by it. I'm not going to be careless and go out on the motorbike and drive on the wrong side of the M50 because it's not that I don't respect it, but it doesn't govern me. Mm. Yeah. I kind of, um, I, I um, rightly or wrongly say, um, sometimes I find myself saying to my kids that um, the experience of I probably shouldn't be saying this sort of shit like but um, the experience this experience mm-hmm. will be felt for the mind and for the body very much like a holiday the speed to which a three week holiday or 
Okay. From, you know, there is ups and downs of a holiday, but more than likely the holiday comes and sometimes at the end of a holiday you're going, I can't wait to get fucking home. I've had enough of this holiday. Sometimes it's, I should have made more of this holiday. What, and, so, and sometimes... What is it you're referring to? They're having an experience I'm themselves. life. This, oh, life. This, the experience of for the, the body and mind... Mm-hmm. Um, the experience of a mind and a body that is apparently born, lives an apparent life mm-hmm. and dies, that, that story okay. comes to an end mm-hmm. and a, an apparent end, let's just say. So when measured at that stage, it'll feel like a holiday. I, I, for the body and for the mind, it'll be, it'll be so vump, mm-hmm. the memories that will flow, yeah. it'll be, that was a great holiday, It'll be that. Thank fuck that holiday is over. There won't be kind of there won't be another side for that body and mind to refer then to the holiday. Okay. Um, so does it join a universal collectiveness? I, I, I'm just saying. For me, it's just the like deep sleep. Okay. Um, and the the sense of end, the sense of an ending. I haven't felt the sense of. Uh, been on a deathbed and known that this is the last breath, but um, um, I haven't had that feeling of being on my deathbed, so yeah. I, can't, I can't. I have nothing to refer to. But what I'm saying, my sense of it is for the body and for the mind, there will be an apparent feeling of it would be akin to that holiday. It's like a holiday. It'll be that feeling of the holiday's over. I think it was a shit. Fucking so happy to get back yeah. home. Yeah, yeah. I'm so bored or so mm. fed up with that. Where's home? Well, I, I would say this is always home. This, this, what's happening is always home. Okay. Um, but I think there is an apparent end for a mind and for a body that. It, 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 is, is, has lived and, and will die mm-hmm. and I think that sense maybe I don't know would be oh fuck or but I still think you returned to this which is ever present this okay. this, this um, beyond the words this cannot be known is mm-hmm. as you use the word um, and so that basically you know you Say a bubble, or say a balloon is floating up in the air. Yeah, the pierce the balloon. Mm-hmm. The skin of the balloon falls to the ground, and will end up it's with a bit the, like life, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah. so what's what was in what that which mm. animated returns to everything. Yeah, sure. If it felt separate, then it returns to everything. Yeah. If it felt lived a life that was utterly separate from this. Um, but if it felt that, yeah, I think then there's the feeling of uh, all those scenarios I described. Mm. But that's the end, beginning and end of the story of being alive and death. That in the end, like I've seen a deathbed, I've seen somebody on their deathbed, and the last breath is this exhalation. Um, the last breath that I saw was an exhalation, yeah. and it was an unbelievable relief and a smile. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about what that smile was I'm mm-hmm. curious about it for that person mm-hmm. what was that smile was it that it was much to do about nothing 
the return to everything or yeah I'm just curious about that honestly by I've heard it talked about before and some people talk about it as being yeah, they, and, and largely the families talk about it as being that the person looks so happy when they passed yeah and I often wonder that if you're frowning it engages a lot of muscles a relaxed face is actually a much nicer looking face than a engaged frown face yeah and I often wondered if biologically just as that person goes into a relaxed state that they go into a relaxed physiological state insofar as it looks relaxed and yeah. therefore looks far more passive than being in pain before they go yeah so is it just simply the person has exhaled and that's what the meat sack looks like now that it's just at rest or is it something deeper is it a knowing where they're going to go ah I'm on the way I, yeah, and so I haven't a clue, but my own sense of it is, is the, oh. Yeah, thanks for that. No, no, it's, did, uh, I, um, <laughs> I'm going to use ridiculous words here. I've just done it again. Just the, just before. Yeah, yeah. Before you go. Yeah. Because it's, it's all that remains before there's ever, before there's yeah, just yeah. everything. It's, I just hid from myself again. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh, I can't believe I did it again. Right. I, 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 not that I did it again, but there's that kind of sense of reemergence back to um, who you are, which is everything. So then, is this potentially a holding cell <laughs> that you're sent into to go down and learn a lesson? And, and well, I know. I, I, I just think you're hiding. It's a game of hide and seek, and it's from yourself, right? Which is part of the ether. But you can't the... hide from yourself. Yeah. Because it's everything. Sure. You're everything. That's just sure. a, you, you, it's not that you are everything. There is everything. In, and that in that, um, that mm. is, but that's the last, men, maybe there's a trigger of the mind. Mm-hmm. The mind can somehow play with that before it disappears. Before. Yeah. So that what this is, is you can't, you can't hide from yourself What's, you can never be lost so the expressions of never lost and never found is because there's only forever this mm-hmm, always mm-hmm. What's, this is eternity always and it's the game of hide and seek the, the first game a kid will learn to play and the, the greatest game ever of the self hiding from itself appearing as something separate from it but it can never be separate because there is only uh-huh. the, there's only the self one without a second and it cannot see itself. Uh-huh. It can't be known mm-hmm. and it can't be held. It can, there might be mirror reflections, but there'll only be it's like the gusts of winds, mirror reflections of itself. Um, you can't ever know yourself, but somehow apparently through a body and a mind and apparent separation, there can be a feeling of I am separate, a very held feeling. I am separate from myself. Yes. Now there's neither self nor I. Yeah. There's just what is. Yeah. But in this somehow fucking thing that appears to be happening, there can be that. And I think in death, whether it's felt in life, that final breath mm-hmm. can be felt in life. And that can be, a, might, they might refer to it as awakening or seeing, the seeing that it was always this and it couldn't go anywhere. And that's why your man in that email mentions death. Mm. And that's. It would be lovely to think that a person who has gone through their life mm-hmm. and not maybe had the opportunity to realize the potential or the years or the this, that at that last moment gets to realize the this 
in that capacity. Yeah. So that at the very least, their parting moment, however long that actually really is, and that they timeless. Get, right. So they get to live in that one way or the other. Uh, and so what, the only difference what you'd say there uh, is that they don't get to live in it. Like you said in your quote, you don't get it. Mm-hmm. And that's the impossible. <gasps> and that's why there's, there's no end to the final breath, although there's a apparent physical yes. end. Because yes. there is no breath, really. Because no, there's, no, there's no anything. And that's the, that's the much ado about nothing. That's the Shakespeare-ish. That's the tale told by an idiot. Yep. That's this play of characters appearing. The one appearing is separate. Mm-hmm. And so there is no, in the end... There's no realisation, only apparent, and in that final, it's, fucking, gee, I've fucking done it again. Now, that's, there are my words of, uh, and that's the last, before the end, you can have the sense of, it was always, I won't say it was always me, because that's making it personal, but it was always, nowhere to go, there's loneliness, there's not heaven and earth. And you know, there's no inner and outer, mm-hmm. and no, um, this it's just there's a world without things, and then it's, ju- it's unknowable. Everything as a construct for that moment, it will be very securing for a person to believe that that's what happens. Yeah, now I'm not doubting for one second that that's what's going to happen either way, but I'm not entirely sure if what you're seeing is that, and the parasitological biologically passes. If that sign of gratification is that, or if it's not that, I'd have no doubt about the fact that they're going to enter back into that community. Okay. Um, so it has he, to he, say there's say uh, uh, it's impossible to imagine everything, but just imagine everything, right? Mm. And in everything, there is in everything which is boundless yeah. everything, there is an apparent thing that sees this everything, mm-hmm. but that apparent thing can't be real okay so it's it's an illusion or not it's not an illusion that's it's a felt sense of here and everywhere right okay so when that's gone there's just everywhere Mm -hmm. or nothing Mm -hmm. or and it's inexplicable because there's no reference point yeah there's no safe ground there's no here nor there inner or outer yeah up or down and so in from my perspective in death then that say the pin or that seeing that there's here and then everywhere mm-hmm. there's yeah. just everywhere and it's inexplicable so that's any a kind liberation of, though and a freedom that's liberation yeah. mm-hmm. and which so then that sense of liberation obviously can be can you know there's die this idea of die before you die mm-hmm. so dying into Life, so your it's no longer becomes my life. Mm-hmm. It's just life, mm-hmm. and it's just is and as it always was, but it's still utterly unknowable. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I think it can be sensed or felt or uh, or whatever. What's whatever? Well, whatever is that you could I could talk for fucking um, hours and hours mm-hmm. and it wouldn't get anywhere. It wouldn't mm-hmm. describe the. Um, Does it need a description? It doesn't need a description. Mm-hmm. No. So that's and maybe whatever is kind of 
That's its own statement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but it sounds reductive, <laughs> but it's... I don't know, whatever it is. Maybe it's just a fucking character thing of summing myself up or stopping myself from going further. But it's... Um, yeah, I suppose what we're, whatever the fuck we were talking about there is... I, 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 we, were, we were talking about death. Mm-hmm. And then death in life. And mm-hmm. that email from that guy. And... Um, I love those words. I've I've come to uh, love that sort of soup of isness or mm. um. Anyway, what do you think? <laughs> Where do I? <laughs> and there's nothingness. Yeah. Yeah. I think one way or the other, irrespective of how enlightened we think we have become or are becoming, mm. that we will always try to seek some level of understanding by looking for something tangible. Mm. And maybe in that pursuit of looking for something tangible, you might eventually realise that actually it's intangible. Mm. But in order to realise that it's intangible, you must understand that there is something that is tangible. Now what I mean by this is, is that you can't understand free flow unless you understand that something is not free. Mm. You can't have freedom unless you understand that there's a lack of freedom. You need to understand that there's a restraint to be unrestrained. Yeah. So in that particular sense I think it's okay for people to go on looking for the path to realise there's no path and I think in then in this liberation yes it can be seen that it was never separate nor constrained right it it always is yeah yeah form to formless is is there you go yeah I like the sound of it I didn't put a like on your uh, comment I said I'll come back to him on that better get on there and do it (laughs) I'll obviously put a like now I need that external gratification (laughs) (laughs) I'll stick that like on it right now thank you very much buddy thank you that was great pleasure enjoy that Hi, if you like the conversation that I just had and you'd like more, please hit the subscribe button. Thank you.